Welcome to the Bringing Her Hope podcast. I'm Bethany Bravery, and I'm thrilled that you are here. Each week, I invite a girlfriend on the podcast to share not only the story that God is writing for her, but the story that God is redeeming in her life. I cannot wait for you to meet each and every one of these amazing women who I know will inspire you to also live out the story that God is calling you to, and to give you hope that He will be faithful to redeem your story as well. My guest this week on the Bringing Her Hope podcast is Wendy Knoll. In Wendy's experience, hitting bottom in addiction can be described as a place where the cornerstone met the foundation. God met Wendy in her surrender and thus began a humble transformation of ashes to beauty. Hey friends, Bethany Bravery here. Welcome back to another episode of the Bringing Her Hope podcast. I can't wait to introduce you to my new friend, Wendy Knoll. Wendy, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Hi, Bethany. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Um, Well, my name is Wendy Knoll. I live in Ontario, Canada with my beloved husband, Dale. Um, Some of my greatest blessings in my life are my children and grandchildren. Awesome. And you guys, today we're going to be talking about how to get free from addiction. This is a topic that we haven't gotten to unpack yet on the podcast, so I'm super excited. But Wendy, thank you in advance for taking us on your journey. So let us buckle up and get on this ride. Okay. Um, Well, my earliest memories, I don't have any. So I have no memory prior to the age of eight. um, And memories from eight to 13 were quite foggy. So I was sexually molested until the age of 14 and gang raped at 13. Um, And, you know, that would be kind of the premise of starting, you know, years of addictive behavior. So I remember taking my first drink at 13. Uh, My parents lived, we lived in a hobby farm in the country and uh so they i guess one of my dad's friends thought it would be cute or funny to give me a drink and i drank it and it burned all the way down and all the way up and my mom wasn't too impressed because it was right in front of the food table but Mm -hmm. you know that having said that there was something that happened that day it was like a click or a switch where um you know, I had no worries about the past and really no worries or fears about the future. Like it became, you know, this numbing agent, right? So, um, you know, we don't drink to, to feel better. We drink to stop feeling bad. Mm -hmm. And so that would journey me into years of, um, you know, pretty much any substance that was available, Um, hard drugs, alcohol, liquor. Um, There's also something because I've worked in the field for many years. So um, there's something called behavioral addictions, too. So it's not just, you know, substance abuse, but there's, you know, sex and love addiction, workaholism, eating disorders, gambling. You know, Um, I had almost everyone except gambling. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, I just always, as long as I can remember, feeling like I didn't belong. You know, there was always kind of this free-floating anxiety around my origin. Um, I wasn't raised in a church. Um, You know, we were raised in the country. And so I found a lot of my solace and and serenity in nature. And I always kind of, as a child, little girl, knew that there was something bigger than me, but I wasn't really sure what that was like and what it was all about. Um, You know, my mom uh, and dad were believers. You know, the mom especially, she believed in Jesus. 
And I remember my, my sister and I, she sent us off to Sunday school just for a brief period when we were, mm. I don't even know, nine, 10. Um, so that's where I kind of was introduced to Jesus. And the reason I know this is because I have a little red Bible and I wrote in there when I was nine that I gave my heart to the Lord. Mm. Do I remember that? No, not really. Um, you know, but that's just kind of where I had that essence from. And so um, during a lot of the trauma and abuse as a child, I would often go and kind of gravitate to water. Um, so there was a little creek down the street from us. And I would, you know, just sit at the banks and, you know, cry and just kind of ponder what was happening and, you know, where I fit in this big world. And I would throw little pebbles into the lake. And that's when I first kind of like, ah, geez, there's something bigger than me out here, right? So, you know, moving forward, I just, you know, I just used alcohol and drugs for years. Um, I ran with some pretty rough crowds um, for a very long time. I've seen the inside of a jail cell. Um, you know, I've been locked in psych wards. I've tried to take my life numerous times. Um, you know, I just didn't want to be here. Right. Um, then I turned to men and kind of had this little um, vision as a little girl, you know, OK, well, if I can just find the right guy that I'll grow up, I'll have a white picket fence like Little House in the Prairie that I used to watch when I was a kid. Right. I'm dating myself a bit. No, no. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and so that would lead to a lot of um, violence and abuse and, um, you know, just continued trauma. And so I just, I don't know, I just thought that I was just kind of born to be abused. Now, having said that, I mean, I grew up with a victim mentality, you mm. know, and, and it was kind of like I could do a, you know, record play to every man that I was involved in. Um, oh, look at me and my sad story. Um, and, you know, over the last 20 years, I've tried to put together, like I mentioned to you, um, you know, before the show that uh, I did put a book together, Ashes to Beauty, right? And so it took me 20 years to do it. This is not a book I wanted to write, you know, but it's like being pregnant. So, you know, when the Lord is birthing something in you, like it's got to come up and out, right? And so it was a hard, hard, hard write. And um, to anybody that reads it, um, just a kind of a <laughs> newsflash, it's not an easy read, right? So um, I don't, it's not my intention to trigger anybody. I wouldn't want, you know, to trigger anyone. Um, and so, you know, I tried to find basically anything outside of myself to fill this incessant void mm -hmm. um, that was within me and nothing ever worked. Yeah. Right. Um, so just kind of, we all, anybody, we all say in the circles of recovery, right? Like we all know how to use drugs and alcohol mm -hmm. and behavioral addictions, you know, but how do we stay clean and sober? Yeah. You know, how, you know, what is, where's God and all this, right? Because, you know, I had a, a lot of anger, um, mm -hmm. as well. Rage was another issue of mine, right? Yeah. I had a lot of anger at God. Yeah. You know, and I know, you know, that was something in the Christian circles that they didn't want to hear. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, what do you mean you're angry at God? It's like, well, and where was he mm -hmm. when all this stuff was going on? You know, why does God allow bad things to happen to good, good people, especially little children? Like it just bothered me. Right. Um, and I know now today God gave me a vision years ago and he showed me like he was in this kind of orange hue kind of bubble and his hand was reaching out to me and he was just weeping, mm -hmm. you know, and he talked to me about, um, 
you know, he gave, we want free will. So he gave man free will yeah. and it wasn't his will for me to go through all that. Right. Right. And he wept yeah. for me, you know, yeah. and I see that today. Um, and so, you know, I, I tried everything. I even had a shopping addiction, mm-hmm. um, you know, just anything and nothing worked. So in March of 2000, I had hit my bottom. I had had a few attempts prior to that, um, you know, well, more than a few, just try and get clean and sober. And I could stop for a while, but then some little triviality would happen in my life and I would start again. Mm-hmm. Um, but in March of 2000, I hit my bottom and, and everybody's bottom is a little bit different. Um, and what that looked like for me was, um, I had been married multiple times as well. Um, and I had tried to go back to my children's father and, and that just wasn't going to work. So I went back cause we were separated at this time and mm-hmm. I went back to the apartment that I had and, you know, I attempted to take my life again. And, you know, I mean, um, to the viewers, keep an open mind, but I went back and I had, um, you know, I celebrated or sorry, I went back and I had um, strong rum and Coke and I had put pills in the form of a cross on the table and I had a knife. You know, I was just done. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I just, I couldn't numb the pain anymore because, Mm -hmm. you know, see addiction in addiction, we move away from pain and toward pleasure right? Um, Addiction works until it doesn't. Yeah. Right. And so it had stopped working. I mean, I could drink myself sober. I could drink and drink and drink and not get drunk at all. Um, And so I attempted to take my life, but I couldn't leave this world without saying goodbye to my kids. Mm -hmm. And so I phoned their dad, who was very well aware of my history of suicide. And, um, you know, instead of saying, I want to say goodnight to the kids, because they were at their dad's that weekend, I said, I want to say goodbye. And so to the viewers, keep an open mind, you know, my, um, we were involved in some, some heavy crime rings and so on. Um, and he came over with the boys and, and, you know, knocked my door in and stopped me from doing what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And we celebrated that night with a table full of cocaine. Oh my goodness. And, um, you know, so that led me, uh, and that was in March of 2000. And so that led me, um, I, like I, uh, I had a bit of an attitude back then <laughs> and I can see it now, but so I was taken in handcuffs up to a lockdown unit, um, known as detox today. Yeah. And, um, that would start my journey into recovery. You know, I really, really wanted it this time because FNCS with that um, suicide attempt, uh, family and children's services were called into my life and I lost my children. And so that was my bottom, you know, Mm -hmm. because I'd always prided myself that, you know, well, I'm not like you, I'm not these bottom gutter drunks like you guys. And so I was full of judgment as well. Um, and I'd like to say at that point, you know, the sky parted and the red carpet rolled out and the doves came down and life was good, but that's not the case for me. See, a lot of people think if we just take the alcohol, drug, substance behavior away, that all will be well. And that's not the case. Right. And it's, it's kind of like contempt prior to investigation, which is a quote out of one of the, the texts that we use for recovery. And it, it's simply, that's just when the work begins. So true. You know? And so I just, you say that because, and I don't want to speak 
because I know, but would you say that because you have to find out what the true hole that you were trying to fill was, is that, is that why, you know, the work is just beginning because you're still going to have those same feelings. Now it's, what do you do? How do you cope? Yeah. 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 It's, you know, like when I got into the field and I started studying, you know, um, Eric Erickson's stages of development and, you know, then I learned later, how do I incorporate uh, that with the word of God who, you know, who am I am, who is my finding my identity in Christ. Right. And what does that all look like? And so it started this passion, this journey, because again, going back, you know, to basics, like I have no memory, none. And I have seen some of the top doctors in Canada who Mm. after two years of therapy have said, I'm sorry, we can't help you. Mm. And I'm like, man, if the top doctors in Canada can't help this hard case, then who can, Right. you know, and it just created the cyclical feeling of hopelessness, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so I started to learn that, um, I just have to learn how to recreate my life. Yeah. You know, and some of the top doc, one psychologist finally said to me, you know, Wendy, the brain is an amazing organ. And if you can't remember Mm. certain things back in your childhood, don't try and push it. Mm. Right. You know, sometimes we can go into this kind of like um, blank slate so that as a means of protecting. So I stopped trying to figure out what happened. I mean, if God hasn't revealed it to me now, by now, then I'm not supposed to remember it because I think it would send me right over the edge. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I started this slow journey. One of the first people that was instrumental in my journey, as far as the Christian circles was Joyce Myers, because I could really identify with her. And so I would listen to her podcast and, you know, there was just, yeah, I was just so hungry, you know? Um, And, you know, I started originally substituting where I would shop instead of use. And, you know, there was still that incessant void. And for the first 10 years of my recovery, I just kind of mm, was still feeling like this walking shell, this empty shell. Um, And, you know, then God started to meet me where I was at. So in March of 2000, I had two girls, girlfriends that wanted to take me to church. And I, by this time, because after, um, I got clean and sober after I had my daughter, um, you know, I remember that there was a priest that came over and wanted to give bless my daughter and I with some, you know, so I could buy her some Christmas gifts and he came on to me. Mm. And so that just kind of, I would just walked away from the church at that point. Like I was done trying to seek anything on my own. And, um, you know, in 2000, two girlfriends invited me to the church. I said, all right, I'll go to yours first and then I'll go to yours. And it Mm -hmm. was the same church. (laughs) Yeah. So I knew that I knew that I knew that God wanted me there. And that just really started a slow journey. Um, I, I had a lot of work to do. I've gone through a lot of counseling. Um, Trauma isn't easy, um, you know, to get through without some kind of a numbing agent. And I slowly realized that God was what I was missing. You know, he never abandoned me. I turned my back on him. You know, I just Mm -hmm. couldn't, I I loathed myself. I couldn't look in the mirror. I didn't feel a sense of worth. I didn't feel like I belonged. You know, I would watch little girls at church and families and they're all happy. And, Mm. and I felt like a project, 
mm-hmm. know, I didn't have a family to go with me. And, um, you know, and then years into recovery, I write about it in my book, a chapter on grief. Um, you know, I was doing okay, like recovery, life was going well, you know, I bought my first house, I was career in, in, in a career, I was working in the field of addictions in various capacities. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, my, my mother died. And then, you know, um, my stepson's little girl died at seven in a tragic accident. I just had a succession of like seven loved ones die in a very short period of time. And for the first time in my life, I just, I couldn't take care of myself. And for a strong, independent woman, that's, that's, that's pretty defeatist, you know? And um, so I, I went to, you know, live with a boyfriend and, you know, just kind of started over again. Um, my life really turned around for me about six years ago when I met my current husband today, who is the love of my life, right? And, uh, you know, he knew my history and, and he had a similar history. And uh, so we dated. Now, the one thing that I did different with this relationship is we both wanted to honor God, yeah. you know, and up until this, I had never, I'd always had pre, like premarital sex. Yeah. And, um, you know, because I had a sex and love addiction as well, yeah. um, it took me through some some more <laughs> stories for another day <laughs> but um anyway so we decided that we wanted to honor god and we didn't engage in premarital sex and, and i'm here to tell you anybody that struggles with sex and love addiction or you know you're just so riddled with shame and and past victim mentalities from abuse and stuff mm. i get it now i so get it why god stresses that you know um can you elaborate on that a little bit more just because i think that that is the storyline that we we think well it's all it's just about obedience it's just about rule falling what what had what did it become for you what did it show you it showed me that he was real and he was there and he honors marriage and he he showed me like his love for the marriage bed, you know, and what he intended sex to be. Absolutely. And, and it's so much more, I mean, you know, from, from being raped when I was a child and take it, that choice was taken from me. You know, when I was gang raped, I didn't have a choice. And so I never had that feeling of this innocent beauty, like of giving it away, you know? And, um, so it was just always used kind of as a power over, well, if you're going to do this to me, then I'm getting something out of it. Right. You know, um, right. I can remember one time working uh, with girls in the sex trade and girls that have been trafficked. And, um, you know, I'm like, Oh God, I don't know how I can help these women. Like I've never done that. Mm-hmm. And I heard an audible voice of God say, you have, you just didn't get paid for it. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get money yeah. per se, Right. Um, But I got paid for it because I would do anything to get my next drug of choice. Mm. Right. And so what does that mean for me? I didn't think I could ever be cleansed Mm. between the abuse and trauma and then how I abused myself, um, you know, engaged in all kinds of sexual immorality, including same sex. And, you know, um, so on my wedding bed, I, I just it was like everything mentally, physically, spiritually was washed clean. Wow. That's so beautiful. It is. And, and it, it was just like, I have, I've never looked back, Mm -hmm. you know, today I, I can't even imagine somebody else touching me 
And, mm-hmm. you know, like I would probably like, <laughs> you know, I don't know what I would do. I just can't imagine, you know, and, and to be given that gift. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To me, that's what I look like. Like I, that's ashes to beauty. Like he restored me in that sense, some of the deepest pain in my life. And it's been restored, you know, um, just before the pandemic, I'm, I'm just going to go here too. This is amazing. So, um, cause it's where God's taken me. So I get this marriage and, you know, like happily ever after I figure, okay, God, this is great. Ashes to beauty. The book, um, uh, Dale's my husband. He encouraged me to finish this book to be able to help others. And, and so, you know, I did, and I met my spiritual mother and blah, blah, blah. So just before the pandemic started, I get, my husband went off to work and I got a text message that said in a hospital. Now, keep in mind, this is a man that goes to see a doctor for nothing. <laughs> he just does not like going to the doctor. Yeah. And he was also in the legal business. So I didn't know if he was like serving documents in a hospital or he was in a hospital. Mm-hmm. And I, so I called him. Long story short, um, he was in the greater Toronto area and was experiencing pericarditis. Oh now, if anybody knows, doesn't know what that is, it's basically in a nutshell, your heart is bleeding in places that it shouldn't bleed. Yeah. And 1% of the population survives that. So I spent, he was taken to put into ICU um, and we were you know, going to another hospital to have a certain test done on him. Long story short, in three days, he walked out of there totally healed miraculously by God. The doctors could not explain it. Now, you know, God's got a sense of humor because he knows the doubting Thomas. And, you know, I'm like, well, you know, maybe it was a shadow. Maybe it wasn't even there, you know, this and that. Um, But he left a scar. Yeah. Because when he had the endoscopy, I think that, no, whatever. Anyways, the thing that goes up into your heart, um, they said that they saw the scar there. And they can't explain how in two days it was miraculously healed. Right. And so, because I was begging, I was begging God in the hospital. It's like, God, you can have my house. You can have everything, but you just gave me this man. Please don't take him from me. You know? And it's just been such an amazing journey. It hasn't been easy. Life's not easy, but with God, all things are possible, you know? And I just absolutely love the journey in working with addicts. Um, I still do that today. Uh, I do street ministry and work with addicts and, and girls in recovery. Um, Yeah. I mean, that's, there's a lot more in my book um, as far as my journey and the details, you know, but those are the major highlights of it. Um, Mm Near the end, I've become, since become an ordained minister. I never thought that would be possible, you know, with my story. Um, Like I said, I met my mentor, um, who is a published author of four books, and she was the one that God brought to my life to help me finish this book. Um, Yeah, so I'm a certified addiction counselor. I taught and trained others to be addiction counselors. You know, I I don't know. It's just an amazing journey. And um I just look so forward to it. So lately, my work has been a lot of family members Mm. calling uh, moms. And we're talking throughout the world. Like I'm getting calls from all throughout the states. And, uh, you know, um, so I'm really enjoying that that side because I can identify there. Like I have adult children that have also struggled with addiction. And uh, yeah, so I really love that side of it and that aspect of it as well. 
Before we walk into um, some questions specifically on addiction, I want to go back to um, where you were talking about earlier, how you were just really angry at God. And, and you even mentioned, you know, the Christian perspective sometimes is, you know, we're not, it's not okay to be that. But what I loved about how you were describing is, is you, you were asking, you were wrestling with the questions that you had. And I just want, I feel really led to say this, that, you know, if someone's listening or someone's watching and they have this wrestle within them, it's okay. God is a big God and he can handle it. And I don't know if you have experienced this, but I know I personally have, that when I enter into that wrestle, when I allow him into every piece of my life, even if it's messy, that's when the intimacy continues to grow. It's when I try to show up perfect and I close up all the walls and the windows of the house that he's welcome into. That's when he can't really heal what he needs to heal. So could you speak on a little bit more on what it looks like to wrestle with God and then also what it looked like to maybe even go into the forgiveness piece of I forgive myself. I, I forgive people that I've hurt. I forgive God. What did, what did those two elements look like for you? Um, he kept bringing me to, you know, what we I've heard said as a cup of suffering in the Bible. Mm-hmm. When I was in ministry school, um, our final thesis paper was on the book of revelations, which by the way, oddly enough is my favorite book. <laughs> I love revelations. I've studied it many times. Um, But, you know, even writing my final thesis paper on the book of Revelations, you know, God was still everything I touch in the Bible. He correlates to addiction, everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I came across a commentary uh, writing that where they said that, you know, the level in the end of days, the level of pain in the world Mm -hmm. is going to drive addiction through the roof. Like we have seen nothing. Yeah. And so I wrestled with God in that. It's like, God, like, what do you want from me? You know, and when is my life going to get easy? Like I'm doing what you say and there's trials and tribulations and Israel means wrestle with God. Right. And, you know, I would get persecuted in various employment specs and, and street ministry and like, you name it. Yeah. You know, and he kept bringing to me, over and over and over again to rejoice in suffering. Yeah. <laughs> Why to rejoice and suffer? But I get it now. Mm. I get it because it's like the refiner's fire, right? And he's pruning and preparing. Yeah. And I don't know for what. I don't really care. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But what did it look like? I met um, through my spiritual mother, I met another lovely woman. And she had a different kind of deliverance ministry. And I'd gone through that throughout my journey off and on. But this woman was so gentle. And mm-hmm. it was like when we went into to the area where she did ministry, it was like, I don't know, we were transported to a heavenly realm or something. It was amazing. But I dealt with, and it, at first it felt like, this is silly. Like it's nothing's happening. Like I'm just talking out a bunch of stuff. And, yeah. But he started to show me little by little. I have had family relationships restored that I thought were never going to be restored. I've seen healing miracles. I've seen family and children like be restored, you know? And so that's the forgiveness, but I had to be willing, yeah. you know, I, cause I let go with claw marks. <laughs> I fought everything with yeah. God and, but I was a seeker. Mm-hmm. I had to seek 
you know, people, well, you know, just believe, just stop it. No, no, that's not enough for me. Because the Lord said, if you seek me with all of your heart and your mind and your soul, you will find me. Amen. Right. And yeah. he's going to meet me where I'm at. I didn't get clean and sober just to sit on a couch and flick right. a channel and say, here I am, Lord, take me. Right. Right. I didn't go through everything I went through for nothing. Yeah. It has to count for something. Yeah. It is my life's purpose today. He has, he has put an urgency on my heart to take this message. Like people are dying. Yeah. We're not, we're not in just a pandemic. We're in a dual pandemic because all of a sudden the opiate crisis in Canada anyways, seems to have disappeared, Mm. but kids are taking their lives. Yeah. Kids are giving up. There's hopelessness. There's a housing crisis. There's addiction soaring through the roof. People are calling. Like I don't have time to do my full-time job. Yeah. And ministry. I don't, but I I don't have the finances to do, to let go of that right now, you know? But when I do, this is full time. Like my heart's desire is to get out there and minister full time Mm. for God. Yeah. You know, I don't care. Bring it on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What would you say to the woman who's listening or watching and, and they're in the middle, they are, in the middle of addiction and they're, they're hearing your story that they're, they're wanting to be on the other end, but they, they feel so stuck and so trapped. And so just in the bottom of the pit, but they have no idea how to climb out. What would you say to them? Don't give up before the miracle. Cause you just never know how close you are. Mm. And if I can do it, if God can restore a wretch like me, yeah, you can do it too. You're not alone. Yeah right? They have to be at a place of complete surrender. Just let go. Yeah. You know, there's no shame. You read my book. I'll tell you anything. There's nothing you can tell me that I haven't done or been through myself. And I mean it, nothing. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier in, as you were sharing that you almost felt like you were born to be abused. Um, how has God restored that identity in you? Slowly, <laughs> Slowly. layer by layer. Um, he just put people in my life, mm-hmm. you know, it took a long time for me to trust yeah. and to feel safe with people. Yeah. Um, but that was just little by little by little. Right. And, and it slowly, it's a confidence. You know, like he just slowly started to restore me and take me from glory to glory to glory. But the biggest piece that I had to, I had to get real. Yeah. I had to become transparent. Yeah. Right. And now I have no shame. He took that from me on my wedding bed. Right. He took that. And so I use the metaphor like scars and scabs, mm. right? So a scab, when you pick it, it oozes out. And there's still, you know, sickness and, and yeah. oozing, you know, dirt there. Um, but that's, that's what I was. But mm. today it's a scar. Yeah. You see? Because that's useful. It's still there, but it's healed. Yeah. And he, he can use my experiences now to help other women. Yeah. You know, I'm not a mistake. And whoever is watching this right now, you're not a mistake. Yeah. Either are your children. I get that there's a lot. Whoa, there's a lot of women, people, men watching this too. Mm -hmm. Your children are suffering greatly. They're not a mistake. Don't give up on them. Mm -hmm. But God will show you when to go in and when to pull back. Right? Yeah. And, and, And just there is power in prayer. Pray without ceasing. 
right? Prayer will bring your kids back in alignment. It says, and you know, the mothers mm-hmm. will return to the sons and sons and mothers and daughters, you know, that scripture there. Yeah. Right. Yep. The world, when I was doing street outreach um, full-time, I remember this one guy I asked and I said, you know, what is it that took you to the streets? Mm-hmm. Like what brought you here? How did you get here? Cause I know I ended up on the streets too. Mm-hmm. Right. But he said, hopelessness. Mm, wow. We are dealing with a world that has lost hope. Yeah. Right. And the church is, is God wants the church to rise up. Yes. And restore hope. Right. That's that. My book ashes to beauty was never intended to be a sad story. There's mm-hmm. enough sad stories in the world. Yeah. It, it is my story. But I believe I wanted it to be a message of hope, mm. right? And near the end of my book, um, God's just, wow, telling me what to say here. Near the end of my book, I had somebody, I wrote about somebody that asked me one time, you know, if you had to live your whole life over again, Wendy, what would you change? And I said like that, I said, absolutely nothing. Yeah. Everything I have been to up to and including this moment here with you, Bethany, has made me who God intended me to be. Absolutely. So I have, no shame, no remorse in anything that I've been through, done, experienced. I have forgiven all of my abusers. Um, you know, I have just, I have no regrets. Yeah. God restored my relationship with my mother, who I loathed for years. Mm. Who, when I, I sat with her on her dying bed, um, I had no regrets with her. I love her today. And I know she did the best that she could with what she had at the time. Mm. And that's all because of God. Yeah. That's, it's, a, it's interesting, too. I think when, when you see how much in that surrender that you need Jesus, it also allows you to have his eyes when you're helping either take care of or forgive or restore other relationships because you can see it like you just said from your mom's perspective maybe not so much as an abuser but someone who was broken and needed help and they did the best that they could i think that heart of compassion is only given to us from the lord to be able to see it that way amen amen so tell me you mentioned that you know with this book ashes uh, for beauty, ashes to beauty that um, God had kind of birthed this in you. Who did he reveal that this was going to be for? Who was, who was this book written for? Um, I would like to say, you know, primarily uh, initially the book, I wrote the book just to be a legacy <laughs> to my children. Right. I didn't intend it to be published or anything like that. Um, the author of the shack was a big inspiration for me as well. Um, but having written it, it's uh, it's gone out to a lot of women, a lot, uh, you know, a lot of uh, rehabs, uh, prisons, uh, girls that have been through sexual abuse, physical violence, trauma, human trafficked, um, and a lot of moms yeah. reading it to try and understand, um, you know, what the kids are going through, what their adult children are going through. Um, there's a lot of families that um, the grandparents are raising the grandchildren because mm-hmm. their their kids are stuck in addiction, right? Yeah. And so it's helping them. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. So incredible. So, Wendy, we need to know where how we can get our hands on this book. So how can we purchase it? 
Um, you can purchase it on my website, wendynoelministries.com. Um, I can send an, uh, a signed auto, uh, auto, <laughs> an autographed copy of my book. Thank you. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm just in the middle of doing a relaunch too. So uh, it will be available again soon on Amazon, Barnes and Noble and other sites online. So exciting. And after they hear your story and all the things they're going to probably want to follow you on social media. So how can they do that as well? I have Wendy Noel Ministries Facebook, um, our Facebook page. I ha- I'm on Instagram. I'm on uh, Twitter. Uh, what else am I on? TikTok. I don't know. All of those. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> All of the above. And for those of you that are driving or doing laundry and are just listening to this episode, you can always head to the show notes and grab all those links for you. And then, Wendy, you're about to bless our listeners because we're going to do a book giveaway again from your book, Ashes to Beauty. So you can enter to win at bringingherhope.com and hopefully you will get one of her awesome books in your hands. Wendy, thank you so much, girl, just for this, taking your time out of your day, for sharing your story, for, you know, really there's power in our testimony. Scripture talks about that over and over again. And I just love the way that through your entire story, you're giving God the glory and you don't look back and say, man, I wish I did it differently because again, you have been through the refiner's fire. So I'm so proud of you and grateful for your heart and your compassion to continue to pay it forward um, for people that are walking through what you walk through. So way to go, girl. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Isn't it incredible hearing the story of Wendy's life and seeing the transformation that not only took place in her heart, but the transformation that is taking place in the hearts of so many that hear her story because she is pointing them to Jesus. Please know today that God uses all aspects of our story and he will do the same with you. Just a reminder that Wendy is giving away a few copies of her book, Ashes to Beauty, to enter to win for your chance. Head to bringingherhope.com. We can't wait to share another story of God's redemption next time, but until then, you keep living those brave stories for Jesus. I wanted to take a moment to give a shout out to our sponsor of the Bringing Her Hope podcast, Friends of Hope. Friends of Hope is a nonprofit ministry dedicated to the support of Christian radio, Christian events, new media, and activities that share the good news of Jesus Christ. So thanks again, Friends of Hope, for sponsoring the Bringing Her Hope podcast so we can continue to share more brave and beautiful stories of God's redemption.